Good morning, everyone. Man, it's good to see you. Did you feel that way when you saw yourself in the mirror this morning? <laughs> kind of just high-five yourself in the mirror. <laughs> what is it? Uh, good morning, Lord, and good Lord, uh, it's morning. <laughs> hey, I want you to meet a friend of mine. This is Randy Pope. Everybody say, hey, Randy. Hey. Yeah. So Randy did this little... Uh, not little, four-hour training on uh, Friday to our staff, and uh, it was all about discipleship, and he's like one of the gurus of of the world, but we've been friends. I haven't known him as a guru. We've just been friends, Uh, and um, pastors a large church in Atlanta, but recently retired, so he keeps bragging, and um, but I just want him to give you just a a little hors d'oeuvre, a duck taco, uh, about the importance of discipleship. Take it away. Well, I can say, and by the way, thanks for letting me do this. He just called me about 20 minutes ago in my hotel and said, get on over here. Truly, I did, yeah. So, but uh, I guess this says it best of all. 42 years ago, I had the privilege of planting a church in Atlanta, and I pastored it for 42 years, and I can say with great integrity, no doubt about it, the most important thing that our church ever, ever learned, and more importantly, the most important thing I ever learned, was an approach of discipling where it truly is life on life, where you're not just directing and saying, go do it, but you're learning how to take a handful, vest your life in them, and take them through coaching and support to the point that they can now begin to actually do it and then claim it as their own. That has been the blessing of my life. I don't know how in the world I would live the Christian faith as I do without doing what I do. So it was a thrill to see your leadership and where you guys are going. Man, I just applaud you. And think about it this way. Have you ever had anybody enter into your life experience and say, come, follow, and I will lead you as a small group of people. I will lead you into a deeper faith of maturity and equipping. And if you have, and if you've come to that deeper faith of mature and equipping, are you thinking in terms of who could I look at, child or children, youth or adults, and say, would you like to come? And let's go on a journey together. And let's go to a place called maturity and equipping and watch what God does in your life. It is the most important aspect of discipleship that I've found when you take it to that kind of a level. So that's what uh, you guys are doing and thinking about and where you're going and so forth, and I just applaud you and love this church. I love being here and love you as a people. You're a great people. Thanks for letting me be here. Thanks, Randy. Thank you. Yeah. You know, it's, it's what Jesus did. It's, it's what parents do. You know, parents are always yapping about what they want their kids to do. And I said, you know, you already have it built in. They want to be you. And then the parent says, ah, that's scary. We don't need any more of me on the planet. And I said, no, they already want to be you because you're modeling, you're imprinting them constantly. And, uh, but we need to do that in the church, of just uh, not just yapping, which I do for a living, uh, but uh, investing. So I would just say, look in front of you. Is there someone that you can say, wow, I'd love for them to speak into my life? What if we met once a week, once a month? What if there was a group of guys, gals that that met? And then look behind you and say, well, I could uh, invest my life into those people. Be the best 
way of spending your life um, for the rest of your life. Well, that's not the message today. The message today is to be ready, and you've already heard the passage, the text. We're going to study this incredible parable about what the NIV calls the ten virgins. Uh, I, you know, NIV is usually, New International Version, is usually sensitive about making everything culturally savvy, uh, but they also want to be true to the text, and the word in the text is virgin, but the actual meaning that they're talking about is bridesmaids. So all bridesmaids were virgins in that day, and so that's what they were called because they weren't married, but nevertheless, we're talking about a wedding. The emphasis is not their sexuality, but the emphasis is on this wedding. And we're going to get to that in, in a moment, but the bigger picture of what we're talking about is what many of you have known is as the end times, the second coming of Christ. Um, the, this whole concept has been taught about a lot, uh, particularly 20, 30 years ago, where it was just all that anybody was talking about. And um, if you were comparing the church to a human body and said, okay, uh, what do we emphasize uh, is, is there a muscle in your body that would be parallel to what is emphasized in the church? There's always something that the church is emphasizing a lot, you know? It could be discipleship. It could be uh, sovereignty of God. It could be the grace of God. But if you compared that to a particular muscle and said, is it imbalanced or is there one muscle that's huge and the other one is tiny? And looking back 30, 50 years ago as a Christian, I would say that the end times was this huge muscle that was often talked about. But here's the thing. The way we emphasized it was more on what you knew about it, how many books you read about it, as opposed to how it's changing your life. And that's what we're going to focus on Today, because that's the message. I didn't make it up. It's the message of Jesus to be ready. But the question is, what does it mean to be ready? So be listening with fresh ears. Uh, don't be listening saying, I hope he says what I want him to say, because if he doesn't say what I want him to say, I'm out of here, because that's what I want him to say. You're not listening. Listen with fresh ears, because I'm just saying what Jesus said. I want to set the stage for this parable by taking you back to Matthew 24. Most of you know that Matthew 24 is the Olivet Discourse where Jesus is telling the disciples what's coming down the pike. And I'm just going to give this to you really rapid fire, okay? You have to do your homework and go back and read it on your own. But Jesus it begins in Matthew 24, 4, where he says, watch out. And watch out literally means watch out. So that's the lesson for today. Watch out. That no one deceives you. So apparently, the 12 were potentially available for deception. Jesus is warning them, and apparently we 
could be deceived. So here's what he tells us. There's some early signs for the coming of Christ. He says, Jerusalem will be destroyed. These are verses 4 through 8. You'll see this on the screen if you want to just go fast with me. There's going to be false messiahs that pop up. There's going to be wars everywhere. There's going to be famines and earthquakes. But don't be alarmed. It's only the beginning, what he calls the early birth pangs. Mothers, you know about that. Don't don't go to the hospital yet. These are the early signs. Okay. Then in verses 9 through 14, he warns his disciples, the followers, that's you and me, about some issues that we really need to know. That Number one, there's going to be persecution, death, and hatred for Christians worldwide. He says, all nations, quote, unquote. Now, a lot of you are saying, what? I didn't sign up for that. I I signed up because Jesus loved me. I get to go to heaven. I get all my sins forgiven. And I get to have wonderful friends. Where did this come? You know, this must have been in the fine print of the contract. Let me remind you, Jesus said, if any monk would come after me, Let them take up their cross. That's not a little silver necklace. That is an instrument of death. Luke says, daily and follow me. So this is not new. But he is saying here that there's going to be some uh, concerted effort against his people. And if you look back over the last 20 years, 20 centuries, that has been true And particularly in the 20th century, more Christians were persecuted and killed in the 20th century than all 19th centuries put together. And in the 21st century, around the world, we are on pace to beat the 20th century. We don't hear about that because in America, we live in la-la land. You know, we're just happy. You know, the biggest thing we argue about is masks. Where we argue about masks and vaccinations. And I get it. They're troubling to me. Uh, that, that bothers me as American. But we're talking about something bigger here. We're talking about outright persecution against Christians. It's going to be widespread. Many people, Christians, so-called Christians, are going to fall away. And so-called Christians would betray other Christians. There's going to be false prophets deceiving many, increased wickedness. There's going to be a loss of love. You know that famous phrase of love will grow cold. And only those that stand firm to the end will be saved. Now that just seems shocking. I thought I was saved. You are saved. And because you are saved, you will follow Jesus through to the end. Well, That feels like I'm working. No, you're not working. He did the work. You're just following him. But, well, let me ask you, did you just want to follow him halfway? Was that the plan? That you just follow him until until the things get tough and you planned to bail on him? No, no, no. It's just saying because he's impacted your life, you love him, that we will follow Jesus to the end. 
More distressful signs. Daniel's abomination of desolation. Uh, It's happened twice. Will it happen a third time? I don't know. It's kind of unclear how much of Matthew 24 was fulfilled during uh, Titus' uh, attack on Jerusalem when he destroyed Jerusalem. It could be that a lot of this was fulfilled at that point, but it could also be, like many times in prophecy, uh, that it happens, and then it happens again, and then it happens a final time. Unclear. But nevertheless, Titus in 70 AD, he actually, following Antiochus Epiphanes, uh, hundreds of years before him, desecrated the Holy of Holies. He took a prostitute in to the Holy of Holies and desecrated the Torah, uh, having relationship with her on top of the Word of God, just to mock uh, God. In Judea, he says, if you're there, flee. Um, It's going to be dreadful time. If God didn't shorten those days, uh, no one would survive. There's going to be false messiahs, false prophets. Don't believe them. Jesus' return is going to be in the sky. There's going to be signs in the sky. And then Jesus' appearance will be, he says, I'm down into verse 36, in the sky. And everyone will cry, but the angels will gather the Christians and... um, And we'll find ourselves in the presence of the Lord. Now, I told you I was going to go fast. Regarding the timing of all of this, this is where we need to listen up. Regarding the timing, it's unclear about what, when this is going to happen. But he he says in verse 33 that he's right at the door when we see these things happening. Uh, The timing, we don't know. It's going to be business as usual, just like Noah's day. And he says two will be taken, one will be taken, the other left, even though they're both doing the same thing. And I think that's referring to what Paul refers to in 1 Thessalonians 4.17, that we will be caught up to, to meet our Lord. But the timing of it, we do not know. Now, that's one thing I want you to say back to me. Regarding the timing, we do not know. Can we say that again? Regarding the timing, we do not know. I don't know what's so hard about that. Because all of the books seem to say that we know. But we don't know. And that was the emphasis of Jesus. The emphasis of Jesus was... Yeah, a lot of this is going to happen, but the real emphasis is I'm in the oven, and am I ready? When I'm baking something, it's really critical for me, particularly on the barbecue, it's particularly if it's, if it's Cardiff crack. And uh, some of you heard the word crack, and just don't worry about it. Uh, it's just a tri-tip. But, you know, I don't want to ruin the tri-tip. It's, it's got to be just right and you can focus on the barbecue and you can focus on the plates and you can focus on all the paraphernalia but the timing has to be right and Jesus is emphasizing the timing here so he concludes in Matthew 24 42 42 
Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day the Lord will come. So now that we know all of this, I want to take us to the parable that we're studying here today. There's a series of parables that Jesus tells. You're still there, right? There's a series of parables that Jesus now wonderfully tells from the context of everyday life to help us grab a hold of this idea of being ready. And the first parable is the night thief. You know it as the thief in the night. The night thief. And Jesus says in this wonderful parable, if the owner of the house had known when the thief was going to come, he would have been ready, right? Wouldn't that be easy? If you knew when your house was going to get broken into, okay, honey, this is where we need to stay home. This is where we need to have the police already here because he's coming. Up oh, there he is. It doesn't happen that way. And Jesus compares himself as the thief in the night. When I uh, was a brand new Christian, my friend David Rios and I, we played music together and then we became Christians together and got kicked out of the band we were in together uh, because they didn't want us being Christians in playing rock and roll anymore. So uh, we were just like Abbott and Costello going around life making jokes and fun. And uh, one day we were talking about Jesus coming again. And we were reading books and learning about it and all this. And, and uh, so Dave made a prediction of when Jesus was going to come. And I said, ah, but the Bible says we don't know. So if you're expecting him to come, that's when he's not coming. Because you're expecting him. And he said, oh, you're right. And then he retorted and said, but now that I'm not expecting him, then that's probably when he is coming. And I said, but now you are expecting him. <laughs> well, anyway, we could go on for hours like that. So the second parable is the wise and unfaithful servant. And Jesus says the wise servant is like the servant, the master goes away and while the master's away, he does what the master told him to do. Take care of the rest of the servants and give them their food and their sustenance. But he warns, if you're going to be an unfaithful servant, and this is, you can see, where he's wanting to, to sift through all of us. If you're going to be an unfaithful servant, then you begin to say, the master is taking his time. He's staying away a long time. Uh, and he begins to beat the other servants and begins to hang out with the drunkards. And then when the master comes back, he beats up that servant and he calls him what? A hypocrite. Someone who was a phony. Then there's the ten bridemaids, and we'll get to that. And then there's the parable of the talents. And the parable of the talents, funny, interesting thing about Western culture you know the word that we use for talent? You know, some kind of gift or ability that you were born with. It's just, it's just an inbred talent that you have. It's something you were born with. That word talent, how we use the word, comes from this very parable. We never used talent.
talent that way until this parable impacted uh, Western civilization. But because of that, we miss the point of this. The point of this is talent was a weight, a certain amount of weight that you could measure mostly silver. And so this weight was given, and the NIV calls it five bags of gold, two bags of gold, and one bag of gold. And the master gives the, par- the servants various amounts of talents, weight of gold. And he asks them to invest it while he's gone. And he goes away on a trip, and he's gone again for a long time. And he comes back, and the one servant says, I, I doubled my money. And he says, great, well done, good and faithful servant. The second servant, he doesn't have to match the first one, just like you don't have to match the people around you. You just have to be faithful with what God's given you. And, and he's rewarded. But the, the last one says, I knew you were a stern, persnickety, anal, uh, tough guy, and that you were going to require, and so I did nothing. I buried it, and now here it is, and he's the one that's punished because he didn't do anything productive with what God had given him. God had given him just a little bit and expected him to get it, give it back, and then the, the final one is the sheeps and the goats, and this is where Jesus says at the end of, the, end of life, He's going to separate the sheeps and the goats. And he's not talking about Christians and non-Christians. He's talking about so-called followers that, that are, because the point of the parable is that goats from a distance look like sheep and sheep looks like goat. Sorry, that was poor English. And, and, and they're just hanging around together. But the shepherd comes and divides them. And here's what the division is all about. Jesus says to the sheep, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me water. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. You were the real deal. You were a sheep. Because that's what Jesus did and now that's what you do in your sphere of influence. But the posers didn't do anything with their lives. So, now we come to the bridegroom parable. You're there? Verse 6 of chapter 25, it says, "At at midnight the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come and meet him. So, the parable is about five bridesmaids who had brought no oil and five bridesmaids that brought oil. Now, there's parts of this parable regarding a wedding that just doesn't translate into Western culture at all. So my understanding, and I actually read an account of someone that witnessed this at the early part of the 20th century in a village up in Galilee. So the bridesmaids would usually be with the bride, And they're waiting for the groom to come. And the groom, they don't know when he's coming. Now, in some Palestinian villages, it's actually part of the fun to surprise the bride. And the bridesmaid, they just got to be ready. 
But the other side of the, the deal is uh, the groom has to be able to prove that he's ready for the bride. And part of proving that he's ready is finances. He's got to prove to the bride's dad that he is prepared a place for her, that he's got a job, and his finances are in line with the dowry and all of this. And so it's all worked out on paper, and some of it takes longer, and some of it is, is very fast. And so they don't know. But the parable is fun because it's taking a long time. And finally, at midnight, the groom shows up. And, the, and, and, and it becomes this parade. The bridesmaids are to go out in front of the groom, waving, and it's, it, the lamp, the word for lamp here is literally torch, because they would prepare, and this will make sense to you, because you know, going out with these little lamps with a little wick in them to, to, to celebrate doesn't seem to make any sense. So the word is torch, and they would prepare the rags around the stick and then dip it in the oil and it would go and go out and celebrate and lead the bride and the groom to the wedding place. You're there? So that's the picture of the whole thing. And so the groom takes a while to come and they fall asleep. Now, that's not bad because both groups fall asleep, right? You know, it's okay. You get tired, fall asleep. That's not the point of the story. And those of us that love to make the oil the Holy Spirit and say some of them were filled with the Spirit, some of them weren't filled with the Spirit, so that's not the point of the story. Uh, oil in the Bible is not always the Holy Spirit, right? It's, the parable is about being ready and the ones that brought oil. And in the text, it doesn't say that they just ran out of oil. They didn't bring oil. They were foolish. Anybody knows you got to bring oil. And so they didn't bring oil. And the point of the story is they weren't ready, so be prepared. Got it? Got it. Now, I want to focus on what all of the parables have in common. All these parables that I just told you. Number one, we are unaware of the timing. It could be today. Enough of these things have happened over the last 20 centuries that it could be today. I think I have struggles with anybody that says it can't happen yet. Or when somebody says, finally, it, it can now happen because Jesus is going to be, everyone around the world will see him and we couldn't have had that scripture fulfilled until there was television. You know, I just, anytime somebody says it could not have happened until now or it can't happen, um, I think we got to be ready and we don't know the timing. Secondly, the wise servant, servant the bridesmaids and the talents have the idea of delay. I would say that 20 centuries is a pretty good delay. You know, there's a, there's a, a move in surfing that I've never been able to try in my life because I'm not a good surfer, but it's called a kick stall, 
where you drop into the wave, but you want to get barreled. And the, the barrel's just catching up to you, and you just kind of, I can't, you just kind of go back on your board and kick stall to wait for the wave because you want to be in the critical part of the wave. Jesus has kick stalled for 20 centuries. <laughs> Slowed it way down. So there's this delay that's happening. Thirdly, there's an emphasis, and here's where you and I come in. There's an infinite emphasis on productivity and fruit. You're not earning heaven, but he says, get to work. I love the analogy that C.S. Lewis gives us, where he says, we are like paratroopers. Think of World War II. We are like paratroopers that have landed behind enemy lines to prepare for the coming of the Messiah. Now, when you think of enemy lines, then you think of, whoa, something had happened. It could be all of these things in Matthew 24. We got to be ready. We got to be alert. But we're not just kicking back. We are getting ready. We're doing the Messiah's work as if his kingdom was here. What would he want here as it is in heaven? And that's how I live. That's how you live. So that's why he gives us. Is anybody thirsty? Anybody hungry? Anybody need visiting? Who needs care? Because Jesus washes people's feet, and he's commissioned us now to serve other people. So productive lives. And you see that in the wise servant. He took care of the other servants. You see that in the bridesmaids. They were ready. Uh, you see that in the parable of the talents, investment. You see that in the sheep of the goats. So it's all there. And then the next thing I see in, all of the, in most of the parables is stay alert. Be ready. Stay alert. Be ready. And this is, I'll get to that in a moment. So, and then in some of the parables, there's this sifting, there's this searching, there's this judgment that happens where he's looking at our hearts. And finally, I'd say in the parables, not everyone seems to be ready. And that part scares me. But I think sometimes it's good to be scared. The point of Scaring people is not to make them scared and live in fear. It's just a course correction. So if a mom says, okay, honey, you're old enough to take the bus. So I'm going to walk you to the bus stop, and I'm going to go home. But my instruction to you is don't talk to strangers. Get on the bus. Go to school. When you come back, don't talk to strangers. Is that bad for a mom to do that? That's a good mom. But some of us say, well, you shouldn't scare her, you know? I said, no, that's a good scare, right? And, and that's what Jesus is doing to his disciples. He's looking down the 20 centuries that are coming. He says, man, I want everybody to be there. But I got to tell them what I see prophetically coming down the line. So here's the numero uno question. What does it mean to be ready? It doesn't mean sensational predictions. It seems like it would. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Now that, 
you know, I figured out Henry Kessinger is the Antichrist. Now I'm ready. <laughs> I, I figured out that the 10 nations of the common market are, are the 10, na- you know, the 10 things of the crown. Now what do we do that we have 23 nations in the common market? I don't know. It's really big now. Or why? That's not how we get ready. It's fun to talk that way. I like it. It's, it, it gets my heart beating. It's sensational. It, it's, it's, it's fun, but that's not ready. Reading all the books on the end times, and I have more than you, <laughs> isn't being ready. And just talking and studying about it isn't being ready. So what does it mean? To Jesus, being ready for the coming of Jesus Christ is following him not only with my mind and my words, but with my life. Yeah, I'll take a couple more amens on that one. And if I'm following him with my life, then I do what Jesus asked me to do. I share the gospel in my words and in my life by serving other people, bearing fruit. And yeah, I may have to suffer, but today I'm picking up my cross, and tomorrow I'm picking up my cross, and the next day I'm picking up my cross, because that was part of the deal. Next, I would say be cautious about deceivers. The next person you see on social media that tells you they have all the answers in the world whether they are claiming to be the Messiah or the next prophet or whatever else, just be cautious about what you're inhaling because there's only one Messiah. Don't be lulled to sleep. Number three, don't be lulled to sleep into sinful patterns, saying he hasn't come for a long time, you know, but I think, you know, I'm kind of ready. Let's just go get drunk. That's not how he's called us to live. And be hopeful. Be longing. Let me ask you, what did you sign up for? You signed up for Jesus. And you get to live with Jesus forever. And so that's who we long for. We long for the coming of Jesus. Amen? Amen. I don't know if you've ever been to a basketball game live, but... uh, In a basketball game, these tall people that I can't even imagine living at that that elevation. But sometimes the ball will hit the rim and start spinning. And you want to be tall enough to tap it in. But you also want to be, if you're defending, tall enough to tap it out. But you can't goaltend. So it's kind of tricky. So it's spinning around the rim. And is it going to go in? Or is it going to spin out? And there's been times over the last 20 centuries that I tell you I thought the ball was going in. You look back at World War II when Hitler, ah, he was the best Antichrist ever. (laughs) Hitler. And all the wars and all the plagues and all the persecution, everything that was going on. I mean, 
the whole Armenian church in, in the 21st, 20th century uh, devastated with persecution. I thought it was going to happen. I wasn't alive. <laughs> but reading about it, it looked like it. And there's been many, many, many times. And this is where I want to leave you. I know we're in the throes of COVID still. We're looking at all of this stuff and we're talking. Mask, unmask, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Yeah, be concerned about that. Have your opinion about that. You're an American, but there's, some, there's bigger fish to fry here. Be concerned about where this vaccine come from, where the, where the, where the, uh, the virus come from, who did this. <laughs> but there's bigger fish to fry here. It could be that the basketball is starting to spin again. And there's something bigger than mass or vaccines that's going on. Someday, the Messiah is coming. And he's looking for a church, a bride, who is ready. Father, we come to you today. And we hear this wake-up call. And God, we want to be the wise bridesmaids that have the oil, that we have come prepared to follow you. And so we say to you, Coach Jesus, send me in. Send me into the thirsty, send me into the hungry, send me in to speak the gospel of Jesus Christ and tell somebody the good news. We want to be found doing what you've called us to do, following you. Lord, protect us from deceivers. God, give us courage should people speak ill of us or, or speak ill of Christians or even do us harm, that we would follow you because we love you. Only you have the words of eternal life. Send us in, coach. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Let's stand together.